Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Josh Brolin from The Goonies 2. You're listening to Film Spotting? That's a question. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? You're not interested in art? No. Now look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have a conversation. From Chicago, this is Film Spotting. I'm Adam Kempinar. And I'm Josh Larson. In time, you will know what it's like to lose. Feel so desperately that you're right, yet to fail all the same. Grim thoughts there from Thanos, the latest existential threat to wage war on poor embattled Earth. Luckily, we have the Avengers, who apparently have all the time in the world to fight an infinity war. So I finally figured out infinity is actually a reference to those infinity stones, not the actual length of the war. Oh, okay. This week on the show, the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe hangs in the balance as we review Infinity War, plus the film-spotting Avengers, where Josh and I assemble our own teams of cinematic heroes. All that and more. Infinity Stones. Ahead on Film Spotting. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello and welcome to Film Spotting. This show probably won't sound much different to you, but this really is the first normal episode we've had since the end of February. Last week, we finally finished off Film Spotting Madness, the best of the 90s. Our congrats again to Marge Gunderson and the Cone Brothers Fargo winning the championship. We also wrapped up our six-part Vincent Minnelli Marathon. And this week, Josh... It's back to the basics. No gimmicks. Just us talking. Is that going to be enough? Well, we have an MCU film. Is that a gimmick? I guess that's kind of back to normal as well, isn't it? We'll get there. We do have just a review of Avengers Infinity War and then the triumphant return, we'll see, of Massacre Theater. And then I think 
a really fun top five, something we're calling the Film Spotting Avengers. Josh, do you want to tease that at all? Want to explain that at all? Or should we just let it hang? I, I don't know if I'm qualified. <laughs> we'll have to get to that later. There are a lot of details that we need to get to to set up the Film Spotting Avengers. We will get to that later in the show. But first, Avengers Infinity War is so big, so massive, so colossal, I think even Adam and I might have had supporting parts in it. We'll have to clarify that in our review. The entire time I knew him, he only ever had one goal. To wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the Infinity Stones, he can do it with the snap of his fingers. Just like that. Tell me his name again. Thanos. My math may not be accurate here, Josh. Excluding extras, though, I counted something like 247 characters in Infinity War. (laughs) I'm not saying there are too many characters necessarily, but I now understand why it's called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We get a smattering of hench creatures, but other than those, there's only one villain, really. Thanos. And through a whole lot of comic book movies over the past decade or so, the two of us have been fairly unkind to the villains. Nondescript, one note, or just plain boring, the bad guys have been mostly pretty bad. However, that isn't how we've felt recently. If I recall correctly, the last three MCU villains have actually been strengths of their respective movies, according to us. Michael Keaton's Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok's Hela, while maybe a more traditional hell-bent on destruction antagonist, was reprehensible fun thanks to the devilish grin and acting skills of Kate Blanchett. And of course, Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger, who I described during our review of Black Panther as flesh and blood, motivated by pain and a recognition of injustice. Oh, and he's a badass. Maybe part of what worked is that two of those three are humans, whose superpowers are pretty much just a ruthless determination for revenge. Hela, she's a god, but she's played by a goddess. And so with Thanos, we have a recipe for potential disaster. An already seemingly all-powerful alien being determined to acquire not just more power, but all the power, who is decidedly a CGI creation, albeit one voiced by mortal Josh Brolin. To provide balance, as Thanos himself might say, we arguably get the most thoughtful, introspective, screen-time-filling villain yet. Does that gambit work? Josh, were you invested enough in Thanos' quest to care about all of our heroes' efforts to thwart him? Or has the MCU regressed? on the villain front. So for the record, I'm also a big fan of Loki. Tom Hiddleston's That's true. Loki. We disagree on that. Yeah, and I, I thought he was, you know, really great in the first Avengers movie, which is interesting because this is sort of a muscled up Loki we're getting here with Thanos in terms of motivation a little bit. I mean, it, there's a revelation, right, that Loki was working for Thanos in that sure. movie. Though so, Thanos isn't about mischief the way Loki Exactly, and that's one of the good is. things about Loki, I think, is that um, he's deceiving and he has a bit of wit to him, and we can maybe talk about how he's used in this film, because yes, he is one of the 247 characters. I'll say this about Thanos, uh, he's more effective than I thought he would be. Me too. Uh, I was really worried from the trailer that we were getting another one of these faceless CGI space trolls that are just looking to take over the universe, right? That's a good way to Which put it. he is. Uh, to be fair, he is looking to do that. But I think the filmmakers do some interesting stuff playing with his size, that he's this massive being. The first time we see him, he's tossing Thor around like a ragdoll. Right. Okay. And so there's some interesting stuff there. I, and when you see his hands, which are huge, and he has this glove, this gauntlet that's the weapon he uses so we get that a lot 
they're tactile. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not just a CG completely CGI. Maybe it is CGI, but it looks really I'm sure it is, like yeah. it's on the screen. Yeah. His face too though. There there's makeup work that must be involved as well. There are even rivets, lines in his face and there's a moment involving a tear that mm-hmm. runs down them that gives them some depth. So the effects work here is better than I thought. The performance I think is good. Well, I think Roland, Roland is doing some really good stuff with I mean having to be under the burden of all of this special effects work, I think he registers. His voice yeah. comes through. Is it a good or a bad thing then that we're going to see him as another comic book bad guy in the Deadpool Yeah, that's a little movie? weird, isn't it? Yeah, but I do love him. Yeah, I think I think he's good, and I think they attempt to do something here that would have made Thanos even more effective, but I don't think it totally works, and that's to provide him with personal motivation, mm-hmm. okay? His his basic plan is to wipe out half of the universe's population because then the other half will live better. It's a resource thing, Balance. right? Balance. And He's he, a conservationist. He, gives it, uh, he is, and he, he puts it all in this religious terminology as well, right? He, he talks about it being salvation. He's, he's looking to save that other half by allowing them to live a better life with less people using less resources. So that's a grandiose motivation. But there is also this element of his daughter, mm-hmm. Gamora, played by Zoe Saldana, from the... Guardians movies. Thank you. <laughs> I almost had it. I almost <laughs> I almost proved like I knew what I was talking about. I could just pull this stuff out of my pocket. But because she is his stepdaughter, there are some steps there and scenes. Here's where the tears come in, where they're trying to make this personal. Mm-hmm. Now, why do the screenwriters do this? Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, because it was so successful in Captain America Civil War, which I still think is one of the best MCU films. It's one of the best Avengers films, because although it has all of these characters, not quite this many, but almost as many, and a lot of action scenes and violence, it's all rooted in that personal rift between Captain America and Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And everything that happens in that film has an intimacy to it. Even the violence has an intimacy. This doesn't work here because we just don't have the history with Thanos that we had with all of those characters. They try to make up for it. <laughs> they for try. Time. Yeah. They try. So that's a long way of saying he's not disastrous. It doesn't work. It doesn't keep this film from being, for me, a step backwards in terms of the MCU and the Avengers in particular and a completely exhausting experience. And we'll get to why it also feels to me, I came out of it feeling like the victim of a long con. Okay. Um, and, and maybe that's a little bit different reasoning, but we can, we can get to that. I can't wait to get to that, even though I suspect we can't really get into the reasons why, the very Probably specific the reasons why no, you we feel won't that spoil way. Anything. Because I share those reservations. And I think I share your overall reaction to the film. I might like it a little bit better only because... I'm already so in the middle on most of these Marvel movies anyway. There have only been a handful that have really worked for me. The couple of Captain America movies and then actually Civil War was another one that I was also a fan of. But I have reasonably low expectations. So if it entertains me without really making me question what I'm doing with these two hours in the theater without feeling – Two and a half You're right. Without feeling like it's totally exhausting, then it's pretty much a win. And I think I'm with you too on – Thanos. I'm pretty mixed in that. And of course, I don't actually mean it's an uncanny valley effect because I know what that is, but it's the best way I can describe 
how uneasy I sort of felt watching him, how human he looks and behaves. And you described some of those ways very well. The depths they try to give him as far as showing that he's not just capable of showing some emotion, but deep emotion. But then that's combined with how generically alien and imposing he otherwise is. And so uneasy is the best way I can describe it. I'm I'm still in this middle ground where I don't know if I really embrace him as a fascinating villain or I think he's a failure I think he's somewhere in the middle, pretty much like the rest of this film. And you use the word intimacy, and I had that in my notes, too, because the Rooster Brothers do, I think, to their credit, they try to take this sprawling movie. They were obviously served a really tough task here. This is Anthony and Joe returning from Captain America Civil War. Right. Even bigger than Civil War. We have even more members of this universe now. You have to fit all of them in, literally all of them in. It's going to be sprawling. And you not only have to make it narratively cohere, but you do still have to make us invested in these characters and what they're going through. And so the way I think they try to make it more intimate is by making so much of it about one-to-one interactions and sacrifices. Everything in this movie really does revolve around characters having to make not just difficult choices, but the most difficult choices they could ever have to make. There's probably eight of them I could list just off the top of my head. These are the nightmare choices. So they're trying to give it that intimacy. They're trying to give it some of that poignancy. And maybe that was enough to not make it exhausting for me, Josh, but I think that that ties back to Thanos, too, a little bit, where they even make him part of this sacrifice angle, mm-hmm. not just in how it relates to his family, but how it relates to his desired acquisition of these stones and the cost and the consequences of that. Would this be a better movie if they had actually just decided to make Thanos a more generically driven bad guy who just wants the stones and we don't really need to know any other reasoning why other than he wants to be all powerful the way most villains do i would say no but on the flip side had they made that choice there would have been more time in this film to devote to us getting to be with the characters that we have come to appreciate and love and not just watch them give us exposition or action that moves the story along but they have to. That's all they can do here in this movie to keep it on the tracks. Yeah, it's it's just an insurmountable task, you feel, for them because they seem to be making the right choices as directors and as screenwriters, and it's just too big of a job mm-hmm. to pull off. I mean, that. so it's the relational dynamics that you're talking about among the Avengers themselves. Yes. That was the knack that Joss Whedon had as writer-director of the first Avengers film. He really put that at the forefront. So we were getting their dynamics and understanding how they approached each other, how they related to each other. I think you get some good stuff like that early on Mm -hmm. because in a way, this is, again, that first Avengers movie quadrupled because we have the Guardians of the Galaxy meeting Thor for the first time. Great stuff there. I mean, really funny stuff in terms of Chris Hemsworth and who's the other Chris? Chris Pratt. We have three of the four Chris's here. Only only Pine doesn't show up, alas. Oh, yeah, I could use a Pine. So that's great when those two are kind of bouncing off each other. Similarly, I really enjoyed the Tony Stark, Doctor Strange dynamic because they're the same character. They're the same character. (laughs) So if you've seen Doctor Strange, you know that. That was like an Iron Man reboot. I enjoyed it. I did too. But it's essentially the same thing. So seeing those dynamics, them go head to head is great. We get that in the first third. But once those wheels get in motion, all of those relational dynamics fall by the wayside, except for a quip here or there. And it's just... Battle scene after battle scene. I, I don't. I still don't know what Thor was doing on that 
foraging planet where he's trying to get a machine started. That whole thing I could have left behind. <laughs> right. um, I guess it's not a battle. I should have been grateful for that. But we get these big bombastic action scenes. Not terrible. I would say none of them are particularly standouts. No. Um, and all the relationships fall by the wayside. That rift in Captain America Civil War is pretty much like shrugged away at the beginning because, mm-hmm. well, Thanos is coming, so we've yeah, got bigger we things to, to deal with. That was the most interesting thing going on in this universe. And they throw it out the window because they just don't have time for it. No, they don't. And here's the portion of the review where I basically just try to paraphrase what you've already said very well. But I did go back and look at my Age of Ultron review, which I'm one of the few people that actually liked it slightly more than the first Avengers movie, even though I didn't love it. And I basically started with a couple of comments on Letterboxd just detailing all the things the movie does wrong before ultimately getting to what kind of redeemed it for me. And Josh, it's all the same things that are wrong with this film. Yeah, it's very similar to Ultron. that Whedon hadn't figured out how to open these movies. They didn't get it right here either. It's another exposition fest. It's sort of the opposite of the James Bond intro to movies where they come up with these awesome, sexy, sleek, jam-packed with action set pieces to get you caught up in the whole story. And here it's like, how much talking can we really give you? How much information can we dump on you and still test how much you'll care? And for me, there is that awkwardness too. Honestly, it's not the only Marvel movie I can say this about where the beginning of it coming in in that way, there's something just off where it feels so pretend. It feels so fake. It feels so much like, I don't even know how to describe it other than I don't buy the world that's created. Yeah, it doesn't because, immerse you. It no, doesn't I take the been, time to immerse you. In I haven't it. been introduced enough to it yet. I haven't, I haven't sort of dipped my toe in the water and felt how cold it is and then warm up. Instead, I'm just thrown right into all the Tesseract and all that stuff. And it all feels flimsy. It feels to me, the beginning of this movie felt to me, and maybe it was supposed to, felt to me kind of like the play in Thor Ragnarok. It felt like the <laughs> well, pretend okay. version of these escapades. It I, just I, would, did. I would say that play was more entertaining. I what, agree. What this felt like is, what, what do they call them? A, a button? What, what are those scenes? The post-credit scenes? Yeah. Okay. Whatever you want whatever to call, you call Whatever that's called, the opening of Infinity War essentially is one of those. Yeah, it kind of feels Because it's that like way. in the middle of the action and it teases what's going to come but doesn't give you everything. There's a lot more talking. You're right yeah. about that. Another point back then, still applies now, is the continued Marvel problem, you said it, of these big action set pieces being almost entirely forgettable. There's a couple that work here okay, but for the yeah, most part— they're not terrible. For the most part, they're overly chaotic and a little bit redundant. And then more of a problem for me with Ultron, but the plot requiring too many contrivances for all the puzzle pieces— to fit together, and there are some examples I could give here, but they would spoil too much of the plot. The key thing, though, the whole reason I went back and looked at my review, and I'm just going to apologize right now for the fact that I think there's going to be another time in this show. It's going to come later, but later in the show, I'm going to quote myself again. I never want to do that, much less twice in two episodes, but just bear with me here. All right, I said it. then about Ultron, separate from the fights or watching them apply their powers, Whedon gets that the fans of these characters, and I was one once, if not fanatically so now, fundamentally just enjoy spending time with them. If you had the opportunity to hang out with the Avengers, wouldn't you want to watch them each take a shot at lifting Thor's hammer? Maybe let you have a go just for kicks? The party nightcap is a seemingly throwaway scene that's as entertaining as anything else in the movie, and in the end, cleverly proves not to be completely throwaway at all. Okay. I needed more moments like that in this film that they just can't fit in. This movie ultimately benefits, though, from having so many characters who I have somehow come 
to appreciate. And it's not just the characters, Josh. It's the cast of performers. I've come to really enjoy them. Even if I haven't been enamored with all of their movies, I enjoy all the Guardians. And we've praised specifically Dave Bautista as Drax. And, of course, really Groot good is fun. Here. And, I mean, they're always good. Chris Pratt, I love Bradley Cooper's best performance. I'm sorry, he's still Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> and I actually Raccoon. truly mean that. I will never honestly get tired of Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark slash Iron Man. Tom Holland's Spider-Man is great. I like seeing not Vision. Not enough Spider-Man, I would say. There's that. not enough here, I agree. But when he's on screen, and, he makes it And let count. me briefly go back to the Guardians. I think they're better here than in their own films. Yes, yeah, they might um, be. Because there's, I, I have a hesitation with those films. There, there's like a, a sadistic element to those movies that's at odds with the, um, the funny interplay among the team. And here, that's all you get is the team dynamic. And, and I think they're one of the best parts about yeah. this movie. And I do really like Vision and Wanda, though the movie doesn't give them quite enough for how important their yes, relationship is ultimately to the story. Doctor Strange, you said it. I just finally watched that movie a couple months ago on a flight and it seemed like the perfect kind of yeah, in-flight movie good, to catch right? up with. For me, it's in the top five or six of the MCU movies. So you listening out there, you can now choose to ignore if you haven't already everything I think about these films. But no, I actually thought it was pretty good. I really like Cumberbatch's performance and you're right. It is another version of that Tony Stark tale, the egomaniac developing a conscious, developing a wider sense of the world around him. And then yes, you're right. Getting Thor and Rocket Raccoon together and seeing Doctor Strange and Tony Stark, when the movie does interject newer faces with the more familiar ones, and then familiar faces who've just never interacted before with each other, and we do get that crossover, just like a great comic book crossover, that's where this movie really comes alive. When we see how they naturally have chemistry as friends, like Rocket Raccoon and Thor, or they naturally have chemistry as rivals, like Thor and Star-Lord, or like Strange and Tony Stark, but in having all of those characters that I do enjoy spending time with, I just didn't get to spend enough time with them individually or in those smaller groups where they're really fun playing off of each other. We just don't get those kind of party moments from Ultron because there's so much story being crammed in all the time. Story and then eventually action. You know, the last half is just continual action. It's mostly and they action, really, yeah. They really don't even do what um, Whedon did and the uh, Russo brothers did in Civil War, have those signature moments where they act together as a team mm. to fend off the threat. I mean, we do have, we see them fighting together. Yeah. But you know where it was like those fake single takes where they, the camera would swoop through and we'd see them assisting each other. You don't even really get a moment like that. Okay, so you... You laid out your emotional investment in these characters, which I agree with. Uh, the performances have been a strong mm-hmm. part of this cinematic universe yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, you're now happy to see yes. Black Panther. Okay, to see, exactly. To see Danae so Guerrera, to see all these people that we just saw in Black Panther and enjoy. Without spoiling anything, mm-hmm. um, given that investment you had, did you have the equivalent reaction to some of the dramatic turn of events in the last five minutes. I'm just going to put it that vaguely, but you know what I'm talking about. I'll say, like, for me, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I was just pummeled, like the emotions were pummeled out of me at that Mm -hmm. point, but given my emotional investment to these characters, I'm shocked I'm not more shocked. This is the way I'd put it, and we truly are not giving anything away here. If you're one of those people who is very, very sensitive to spoilers, then, yeah, you probably shouldn't be listening to any of this conversation. But the way I would put it, Josh, is the ending is audacious and powerful if you buy any of it. Sure. And I don't. So that's a slightly different reason that 
again, I can't really get into the details of, but my reasoning for not being more moved by the ending is maybe different than feeling pummeled by it. That isn't it. Okay. It's not buying the mechanics of it or where I perceive the MCU to be going. Okay. And that leads to my other thing. And this is why I feel like I've been swindled. I'm under no, you know, illusion that this universe is going to wrap up anytime soon. It'll wrap up when they start seeing red lines in the in the books, right? Mm-hmm. That's when they'll say, okay, this is played out. So certainly expected there will be many more films. But the trajectory of the narrative at this point, I was ready for a certain sense of closure, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, even though I understand, I think there's even another one next year, right? Um, I feel like this was another down payment on my Marvel mortgage. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm just getting tired of that. I, I, I want a little bit more back at this point um, for that investment I've been making, emotional as a as a film fan. Um, thankfully, because this is our jobs, we're not paying for all these tickets. Mm-hmm. But if I were, I would factor that in too. And there was not enough given back to me mm. by where this film ended up. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. And I suppose just a little bit of quick review fact-checking. The next slate of films in the MCU after Infinity War, we get in July Ant-Man and the Wasp, Peyton Reed directing. We get Captain Marvel with Brie Larson Mm -hmm. as Captain Marvel and Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck directing, which can't wait to see that. And then we do have the untitled Avengers film, May 3rd, 2019, Anthony and Joe Russo back Right, that's the one I was thinking of. So that's the one you're thinking of. You're right, we do get even another one. I'm with you on all of that. And yet there is still a part of me that wants to give the Russo brothers some credit. And let me point out again, along with Civil War, my two favorite movies in the MCU so far have been the Captain America movies that they directed. So Winter Soldier and Civil War, both really strong. I think that they, as filmmakers, have a way to take a lot of different moving parts and at least boil it down to the most essential. Now, again, I needed a lot more to really make me care about this movie. But in terms of the narrative, I'm shocked at how coherent it is and how much it actually holds together from a story construction standpoint. At the same time, I'm just full of contradictions here. At the same time, I realized at some point watching the movie that the investment, I'll use that word again, I had in certain characters and their interactions didn't have anything to do with what the Russo brothers were doing here in this movie, it was everything that had been done in the other films. It was all the groundwork. It. Yeah, it's all the groundwork that's been laid in those movies and all the effort that's been put into making those performances feel so legitimate. That's what's paying off here yes. in this film. It's coasting on a lot of goodwill. My, my enjoyment of this movie of Infinity War is almost entirely based on the goodwill the other films, which mm-hmm. I've largely liked, have earned. And then again, those relational dynamics that this picture does manage to squeeze into the corners. Yeah. Though I don't know that I'll ever be able to forgive them, not only for not enough Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but not enough Jeremiah Johnson, Steve Rogers. I didn't realize how much bearded, long hair just standing there with his arms on his hips, Captain America, I needed, but you like, Chris Evans, you like the beard look. Huh? I needed it. That Hey, that's a great one-liner. The Thor's about 
the beards, the competing beards. See, that's, that's it right. Just needed more of that stuff. It did less, less. I, what I call them are punch plosions. You know, where, where they like <laughs> right. you see the fist, uh-huh. it hits something, and and the whole. Well, now literally the theater. If you're in one of these Dolby that's rooms, true, which the we whole were. place shakes. Less punch plosions, more just joking around. You may want to punch plode us. Avengers Infinity War is currently playing in wide release. If you see it and agree or disagree with our takes, you can email us, feedback at filmspotting.net. It has been a while since we played Massacre Theater, but we're going to give it a go next. I don't think anybody's going to notice if we're a little rusty. Then it's this week's top five film spotting Avengers. Stay with us. My objective was rescue op what could go wrong chris which one is that josh you're the chris expert it's chris pratt oh okay he's the one who's in jurassic world what's it called jurassic park fallen world fallen kingdom there you go jurassic world fallen Kingdom. and you know what I hope there's a little Chris Pine in it. Well, that would be great. That would be awesome. I don't think it's going to happen, but Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is going to happen. It comes to theaters June 22nd. And our current plan for next week's episode, it's still in discussion here. We're having an on-air production meeting. We are going to do a summer movie preview in the form that these previews have taken for us over the past three or four years, maybe more, our top five questions about the summer movie season, rather than just listing movies that were excited about and i'm just gonna say right now i'd be shocked if fallen kingdom gets a mention on Not either of our mention lists. no well you got a question we, neither of us like, will chris pine show will up chris pine be in fallen kingdom we were not big fans of the last one no what was that just jurassic world i right? believe so jurassic world chris pine <laughs> that's what that's what i want to see on the title i do too I don't think that's going to happen either. We will have that preview and a review of something because that's what we usually do here on the show. And we could talk about another horse movie, maybe one that's more uplifting. You've seen it. Don't spoil it for me, though. Actually, don't answer that. Your eyes are already revealing too much. I, okay, I'm not going to answer The writer, which also could be a golden brick candidate for this year, potentially. I'll spoil that. It is a golden brick okay. candidate. Well, there you have and it. And we should talk about it. We have also been getting a lot of emails and social media and treats, entreaties, entreats, entreaties, <laughs> to review. You were never really here. The which latest we from Lynn Ramsey, see. which we both really badly want to see, and I believe has expanded a bit around Chicago. I think it has. Yeah, very and limited release initially. We're obviously going to see this film, and I did promise one listener a few weeks back we were going to review it on the show because it was on the calendar, and I think we thought that more people would care about a horse movie, and. I'm not sure that we wagered correctly on it was that a, race. It was a good horse movie. It was a really so I don't good regret horse movie. that at all. Lean on Pete. You were never really here, whether we discuss it next week or at some point down the road. I promise 
it will get at least a few minutes on Film Spotting this year. If you are a Chicago area listener of Film Spotting, we have passes to give away to a Monday, May 7th screening of Paul Schrader's First Reformed. It stars Ethan Hawke. You may recall from last week's episode, we had the great Steve Procopi on to preview the Chicago Critics Film Festival. It's a film fest put on like the title says, by Chicago critics, people who make up the group that we're a part of, the Chicago Film Critics Association. All the films play at the Music Box between May 4th and May 10th. I'm really intrigued by almost anything Paul Schrader does, and at this point, almost anything Ethan Hawke does. Put it in a spiritual crisis movie like First Reformed, and I definitely would like to be there. Schrader is going to be at that screening to do a Q&A. So again, that's Monday, May 7th, as part of the Chicago Critics Film Festival. And to enter, all you have to do is email feedback at filmspotting.net. Send a question you would like to ask Mr. Schrader. If you were me... Yeah, there's practical reason for this. I mean, I'm totally just hoping to steal your questions. And you know what, Josh? So far... At least half of them are so good. You got some good ones? Good. I mean, I may not have to come up with anything. So it's my favorite. <laughs> it's, it's all coming My together. favorite interview ever. No preparation at all. But Schrader, of course, not just the director of this film, but the writer of Taxi Driver, the writer of Raging Bull, and he has directed a few good movies of his own over the years. If you want to see his latest, just send that question to feedback at filmspotting.net. We're going to pick 25 or so winners and give out 25 pairs of passes so you can bring a guest with you. And we will go through all those entries by May 2nd. So Wednesday, May 2nd is the deadline to enter. And we will contact all the winners on the 3rd so you can make your plans. Just go to filmspotting.net slash events for all the details. We also wanted to mention, I don't recall, Josh, if we actually got to this on last week's show or not, but we wanted to throw out there that there is a film festival that we have talked about on the show before. And Josh, you have a connection to, you've been there and it turns out, and this is totally random, I'm actually wearing my Foot Candle Film Festival t-shirt oh my gosh, you are. underneath my hoodie <laughs> as we record this very show. I should have worn mine. You should have. We, we could have been, been twinsies it at the been, Infinity War screen. It would have been like Evans and Hemsworth. We would have been beards, so cool. Just like Hemsworth and Evans. You can even be Hemsworth. I know that's what Debbie would prefer. And I think that yeah, Sarah, she, I think Sarah's not, more of an Evans guy. Okay, but neither of them are buying that. <laughs> No, and we're not selling it, sadly. But do you want to do the honors and do a little yes. plugging for Chris and his Where fest? were we before? <laughs> before it derailed, got really hot in here. Derailed, my Actually. goodness. Uh, so yeah, Chris Fry of Foot Candle Film Festival sent in this note to remind us about the 2018 fest, which is going to be September 28th through the 30th. I was able to go last year. Chris invited me. And... It's a lot of fun. There's some really passionate film fans there in Hickory and the surrounding area. And they get together, screen a couple of films, have great Q&As and discussions right afterwards with, uh, you know, Chris leads some of them. Some filmmakers attend as well. And they dig into the movie that they just saw. So if you're in that area at all or interested even in visiting it, beautiful part of the country, Hickory as well, especially in the fall, check out Foot Candle Film Festival. Now, I understand Chris is offering a discount code for filmmakers who might want to submit their work. So we're going to link to the Foot Candle Film Festival page in our show notes. And if you submit your work, use the promo code FILMSPOT2018. All this will be in our show notes. But if you're a filmmaker as well who's interested in trying to be a part of the fest, go ahead and check out the show notes for this episode. Okay, it's been a little while. And for those of you who didn't miss it, our apologies. It's time for Massacre Theater, the part of the show where we perform a scene and you get a chance at winning a film spotting t-shirt. A couple weeks back, Josh and I, but mainly Josh, massacred this scene. Excuse me. You are not very realistic, are you, Mr. Creed? Where did you come from? What are you talking about? 
You can box, yes, but you are far too old to think that you can win over Draco. Oh, is that a fact? Yes, and it could be a painful one. Huh. You put that heavy bag with eyeballs in the ring with me, and you're going to see the meaning of pain. That was Michael Pataki as Nikolai Koloff, and also Carl Weathers as, of course, Apollo Creed in 1985's Rocky IV, written and directed by none other than Sylvester Stallone. Now, I just have to believe that's a typo. Sam is not correct. 85, it's 84. Wasn't Rocky IV in 84, Josh? Look it up. Here, You're do a little asking internet the wrong guy, but let while me see I read what my I can part, find out. That massacre was part of episode 668 back in late February, featuring our review of Black Panther and our top five superhero director combos we'd like to see. I have to say, one of my favorite top fives in recent memory here on the show. If you missed it, go back and check that out. Episode 668. That was a good one. Filmspotting.net. Was Sam right? 85. Okay. Of sorry. course he was. Listeners, as always, explain the Black Panther Rocky Four tie-ins. This is Matt Guerrero in Van Nuys, California. He's the film editor for Drunk Monkeys. Rocky Four is a film that includes three complete music videos, a robot butler, which Polly may or may not have been romantically involved with, and culminates in a slow clap from Mikhail Gorbachev. All three of those things in Black Panther. <laughs> tie into your episode is that Black Panther director Ryan Coogler's 2015 film Creed was the seventh installment in the Rocky series. Sadly, Coogler won't be returning for Creed 2, but Killmonger himself, Michael B. Jordan, will be stepping into the ring against the offspring of Ivan Drago, the man who killed his father in Rocky IV. With or without Coogler, if Creed 2 has either the emotional heft of the first Creed or the over-the-top cheese of Rocky IV, I'm in. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's going to be Somewhere in the middle. Andrew Howell in Lake Oswego, Oregon, says, A good massacre, but I would rather have heard Josh say, I must break you. Or the two of you could have done a scene with Brigitte Nielsen and Dolph Lundgren and performed it better than the actors themselves. <laughs> the obvious tie-in is Coogler and Jordan. However, I think the jingoism that's part of Rocky Four also finds itself in Black Panther. Do the citizens of Wakanda keep their isolationist strategy? Or do they reach out to help other countries? Not sure there are any real lessons learned in Rocky Four, except that they've been doping their athletes for a long time now. Random connection. Felicia Rashad played Creed's mom in Creed, while Sylvia Meals played her in the original movies, Rocky 1, 2, and 4. Both Rashad and Meals were in the short-lived TV show, the Cosby Mysteries. Wow. It gets better. Impressive. One other connection, Ryan Coogler, of course, the director of Black Panther, was born in May of 86, about seven months after the release of Rocky Four. See, if I had just read this stuff ahead of time, I would have known it was 85. Andrew adds, wow, I'm old. <laughs> we all are, Andrew. We all are. Josh, reach into the film spotting hat and pick out, at long last, this week's winner. Yeah, this is a longtime listener, Franco Asmail from San Francisco. He has been listening for a great deal of time, and I'm really glad Franco is finally a t-shirt owner. Congratulations, Franco. Email feedback at filmspotting.net, and we will set you up with your prize. Rufal simple. Would that it twerse? Or simple. You could say so. Rufal simple. Would that it twerse? Would that it twerse? Why are you doing this? Would that it twerse? Just keep still. We move on now to this week's edition of Massacre Theater. Our chops have really just taking a beating here. I don't think we are in practice well, and we may have to do some voice work. Should we get a sense of uh, what rehearsal usually looks like? You just watched the scene for the first time. Correct. And this was the second time. Okay. And now we're doing it. That's all we need. So I don't think the bar is too high here. 600 episodes, 600 plus episodes, 13 <laughs> years. We're basically real actors by this point. And there are two real actors in this scene. That's the only hint we're going to give you. We will tell you that much to the chagrin of the screenwriter of this very fine film, we have changed some of the wording 
we've altered some of the names, Mm -hmm. maybe taken out a word or two here or there that would make it too obvious, and we even made it a little more family-friendly. So I don't think you need anything more than that. Josh, are you ready? I'm ready. And action. I come in peace. I don't want any trouble. I really don't want to talk to you right now. Just trying to do my job. Oh, oh, really? Well, now I can't do mine. We're already screwed with the amount of tips we got on this thing, and you you just freaked out the entire state. I've got Napa, Vallejo, and DOJ looking at me sideways, and Riverside's telling me I'm on a snipe hunt. Jesus, H. Sherry J. Perkins was a gift. I gave that to you. You and Indurain never would have found her. This might not be him. Does it matter that Riverside may not be able to make a case against their suspect because of you? Tell it to Loxley. I'm out here beating the bushes, trying to draw him out. We're in this together. No, we're not in anything together. Because I'm not interested in upping my circulation. Oh boy, he wrote me. He threatened my life. But a year and a half. You gonna catch this effing guy or not? Go F yourself. Happily. And, and scene. <laughs> wow, that was Man. that was real. <laughs> what, one, I come back for one week. It got it's real. All nice and happy. Uh-huh. We're getting along. And second week out the window. Well, that's what great screenwriting and great filmmaking does to people. Josh, if you know what film we just massacred, email the movie's title along with your name and location to feedback at filmspotting.net. Your deadline is Monday, May 7th. The winner will be selected randomly from all the correct entries and announced in a couple of weeks. To get official Massacre Theater rules, go F yourself. <laughs> all right, Adam. Last week, we shared our top five horse scenes, we which did. was way too straightforward. So you and Sam concocted a slightly more complicated one for us this show top five film spotting Avengers. What exactly does this mean? Stay with us. I was shaking like a leaf. I was clenching my We did want to take a moment to throw out a couple thank yous this week. It's been a little while since we've done donations, and like we sometimes do, we'll start with a mention of our featured artists this week. You're hearing music from Waxahachie and their album Out in the Storm. They're currently wrapping up a tour with last week's featured artist, Hooray for the Riff Raff. Sam recommends that show. He doesn't mean film spotting. He means going to see these artists very, very highly and we all know that sam is the one with the best taste here on film spotting so you should probably listen this week we thank nathan in meridian is that idaho id's idaho right josh i believe that's correct sean price who wrote in with this message i just donated ten dollars to the show after four years of listening that's about 0.001 cent per episode did I, did I get that right? I think that, you did. The math Close right? enough. What a deal. Anyway, I wanted to also let you know about a local Chicago music podcast I co-host with my buddy, Andrew. It's called 
Pod Yourself Clean. And each week we discuss the songs and albums we're listening to and then take a nerdy deep dive into a specific music topic, ranging from the albums that defined our 20s to our favorite breakup albums. This week's episode is about the music of Wes Anderson. We go through his whole filmography and share my top five favorite Wes Anderson music moments. We love lists just like film spotting. That's a great list idea. Yeah, it is. And we will link to that show in our notes at filmspotting.net. I nominate Sam Van Halgren and his great taste to appear on that show, except I wouldn't really do that to Sam. He has three kids at home and the equivalent of seven more in taking care of us and producing this This show. This is true. So, Sean, you probably really shouldn't bother. Alexander M. also wrote in, Josh, you know Alexander, I think. He says, hey, you guys keep mentioning how much the Seattle meetup ended up costing. For the record, there were a few of us who paid for our own drinks, including myself. In all seriousness, love your show and hope you do more meetups in the future. So now I don't know what I'm more upset about, the amount you spent or that you let some people pay for their own drinks. I don't know how this happened. I, I don't know what Alexander was trying to pull. I don't I mean, either. It was very clear the drinks were on film spotting. All those people got free drinks, and Alexander and his little group got snubbed. And now he's feeling left out. I, I'm so sorry, Alexander. And throwing more money our way, essentially. I, You know, the generosity of film spotting listeners just Next never ceases. Next time I'm in Seattle, multiple beers are on me, as that seems to be what happens. There you go. A final mention here. Jeff Butler donating to the show, really, on his behalf, his brother Drew donating for Jeff, a longtime listener and supporter of Film Spotting. Our thanks to both Jeff and to Drew. Thank you, guys. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. It's top five time here on the show. Our tie-in with Marvel's Avengers Infinity War. We're doing the film spotting Avengers. Now, what does that mean? What would these lists possibly look like? You said, Josh, that Sam and I concocted this, but it did start credit where credit's due or blame where blame's due. It started with our production assistant, Andy Mitchell. This is true doing what he does very well, brainstorming, coming up with ideas for top five tie-ins to different reviews. And he threw this idea out here, and I'm going to give you what he initially suggested. He wrote, Adam and Josh get to make their own dream team of universe savers with five characters from other movies. But there are two rules. You know I love rules. They cannot use popular superheroes, like those found in a Marvel or DC film, and they cannot use characters based on real-life people because then you could just pick Jesus and call it a day. (laughs) Then... You do a poll question. Would you rather put your trust in Adam's or Josh's dream team to save the day? So we did kick that around a little bit. Good idea. A good good idea. You were on board more than Sam and me. For whatever reason, we couldn't quite wrap our heads around it, even though Andy laid it out really well. I think it was too clear was the problem. Maybe that is the problem. (laughs) You guys wanted more to wrestle with. Okay, so after wrestling with it for three or four days, I came back with this. This is what I pitched to you to Andy, and to Sam. And then we'll hear whether or not you deviated from this in any way or just decided to ignore it altogether. I wrote, our five cinematic Avengers could be any combination of living performers, directors, composers, DPs. What's their mission? Like the Avengers, they're there to problem solve, to be on call for whatever cinematic crisis arrives. Wait, does that mean they're making a movie together? 
probably just go with it. They each have a superpower. They each even have a name. Are we going to ask listeners to create a comic book cover with our teams on them and award prizes? You're damn right we are. Film spotting Avengers Assemble. That was the pitch. And I, I, I did choose to accept the mission. You did. Yeah. Thank you. I, I didn't get to we the— We were expecting a fight. <laughs> I a long, drawn-out fight. No, it was, it was too close to showtime for that. <laughs> um, I didn't get to the name thing, so you'll best well, me on that. I'm going to make you look bad and... then. <laughs> That's okay. You'll have to make up for it with substance. Um, But I do – let's see if I can do that. Uh, I do have a particular mission. I took that part as kind of my guideline here. The thing I threw out completely. (laughs) Great. Naturally. That makes sense. Yeah, that they have to have a mission, a problem to solve. All right? And we should also maybe say at the top, I I think – this is what I had suggested and you seemed amenable to it. I don't know if you stuck with it. We're going to go through our team – Entirely one yes, at a time. We are. It's okay. not going to be a traditional top five. Right. We're not going to go pick by pick. So five team members. Yes. I'm going to give them to you all right now. Okay. And I'm going to start with the mission. My Avengers are here to save the romantic comedy. Now, some might call this a minor mission. Romantic comedies are probably the genre that gets okay. sniffed at the most these days. You know, not exactly <laughs> film critic territory. And maybe that's for good reason. I think lately we haven't had many good romantic comedies. I can probably point to The Big Sick recently. Enough said. It was, was that on both of our top 10 lists yes, that year? Okay, so very good one. Maybe one or two others that have really worked well in recent years, but not many. Worth remembering, though, this is the genre of some of Hollywood's absolute classics. His Girl Friday, It Happened One Night, The Awful Truth. Because I love those, I still have a soft spot for the romantic comedy genre. It's probably why I've defended plenty of questionable ones over the years. The Breakup, Must Love Dogs, Down With Love, uh-huh. Return to Me, David Duchovny, Mini Driver. Go dig that one up. It's, it's really good. At least I enjoyed it at the time. Now, of course, those are all shadows of the genre's former self. So I would love to see the romantic comedy saved by a team of talented contemporary filmmakers who have the specialized skills to do it. All right. You ready? I don't know. (laughs) We're going to start with the stars. I think that's probably the most important element. You took Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell out of cryogenic freeze. Following the rules. Following the rules here. Living filmmakers. Okay. And I'm going to give you the couple together here. So here are two Hit of my me. team members. Hit me. Gina Rodriguez and Donald Glover. Both seem like no-brainers for romantic comedy, right? Um, I think okay. for different reasons, yes. though. Well, think about Rodriguez. It's now, she has credits going back to 2005. She's dabbled in the genre here and there in film and TV. Her breakout came in 2014 as the star of the sitcom Jane the Virgin, where she's proven her comic chops. She's also proven her range. For those of you who only knew her from Jane the Virgin, earlier this year, she showed what she was capable of in Annihilation, where she played the tough and fiery paramedic on the team exploring the Shimmer. That was a real surprise to me to see her there and I think give one of the better performances in that film. So Rodriguez, funny, intense, not Reese Witherspoon. And I like Reese Witherspoon. That's that's probably not fair, but... And I also haven't seen her latest romantic comedy, Home Again, but you know what I mean. All right. Donald Glover. Well, he's known from TV's community and, of course, currently Atlanta. He's going to be showing up soon as Lando Calrissian in the Star Wars spin-off I hadn't heard. Solo. He's also very funny. But on Atlanta, which I've only seen parts of and I really need to go to the beginning and watch it entirely all the way through. Yeah. 
he seems to have this melancholy level too. There, there's a wistfulness to a lot of the scenes that I've watched from Atlanta. And I think that's what the classic romantic comedy has had that most of our modern ones are afraid of. Something sad and true to balance the zaniness. Those great ones had a little bit of both. Glover, of course, he's also has a writer's sensibility, having mm-hmm. written for 30 Rock and, of course, Atlanta. He also produces and directs Atlanta. So he's got a lot he can bring to the table. So there's my two team members on the acting front, Gina Rodriguez, Donald Glover. Composer. All right. First of all, yeah, I want to say I'm on board. Okay, good. Both so immensely far, so good. talented. Yeah. So incredible, right? Great choices. All right. So the composer here is going to be Michael Giacchino. Yeah. He's done a lot of big-budget spectacle stuff. And, of course, he's the composing star of Pixar, darling of Michael Phillips, did The Incredibles, did Ratatouille, did Up. He hasn't done a straight-up romantic comedy. Maybe there's some early stuff I'm unfamiliar with, but certainly not since he's become one of the biggest names in the business. I think Up and Ratatouille are the indications here that he could bring something special to a romantic comedy score because both of those are at times breezy, then at other times they're they're kind of tart, maybe even a little bitterness to them. So imagine the mournfulness of Up given a fizzy twist in a romantic comedy, okay? Full confession here, this is as far as I got. I needed help filling out the rest of my team. Uh huh. I was rescued Saturday night. We had a film spotting meetup. That's you right. met Nigel Smith earlier that day. That's Nigel right. of the Tough No Couldn't Kirk go Film out. Club. That's right. All the way from London, came to visit our fair city here. So you met him for lunch. Debbie and I caught up with him later that night, and we were joined by listeners Sarah Welch and Danielle Dusenman, and the aforementioned Andy Mitchell, mm-hmm. our production assistant, was there. So we all put our heads together. We filled out this team of cinematic Avengers who are set to save the romantic comedy. For cinematographer... Danielle Duzeman came up with this. She suggested Columbus cinematographer Elisha Christian. Okay. So now, Koganada's Columbus, this was our 2017 Golden Brick winner, not really a romance, let alone a romantic comedy, right? But it does feature a couple, mm-hmm. Haley Lou Richardson and John Cho, in conversation as yeah. they navigate the Indiana town of the title. Yeah. And will they or won't they? There's kind a, of, that's an element. Kind of hangs over. Absolutely. It's an element. Yeah. In our review, we talked about the way Koganada, the director, also working with Christian, he purposefully placed his characters in the town's various spaces, moving the camera within them as well. So it's a relationship film in a lot of ways, also extremely visual. And I'd love to see a romantic comedy that brings the visual element into the mix. That's often seen as an afterthought in this genre, I think, but there's no reason it can't be at the forefront alongside dialogue and chemistry, performance, those sorts of things. So I looked through Elisha Christian's DP credits, and she does have some comedy in there. So combine that with what she showed collaborating with Coconut on Columbus, and I think Danielle is onto something here. So Elisha Christian, the cinematographer for my film spotting Avengers. All right, writer-director. Mm-hmm. This one took a while. We talked about this quite a bit, threw out a number of ideas. Nigel, you know, lovely British accent, uh-huh. but combine that with the loud bar. And for a while, we we assumed he kept suggesting Tom Hanks when he really meant Todd Haynes. So <laughs> Haynes, much better, but not Big quite. Big that thing you do. Not quite what we're looking for. I knew this team needed someone as writer-director who we could see working closely with those leads. Again, Donald Glover and Gina Rodriguez. Danielle Duzeman came to the rescue again. It was right there in front of us, I think though. she's the real Avenger. I know. Tell me about it. Jordan Peele. He's funny. We know he's funny. We know he can slip among different genres from both his Key and Peele sketch work, of course, also last year's Get Out. With Get Out, he's taken a classic genre horror and made it immediately relevant. Why can't he do the same 
with a romantic comedy genre, with Elisha Christian behind the camera, mm-hmm. a Michael Giacchino score, Donald Glover, and Gina Rodriguez as the leads. Okay, I've assembled the team. I'm going <laughs> to let them take it from here, rescue the romantic comedy. I'm pretty confident you put this group in a room, they'd come out with something pretty special. Well, I want to see that movie. So Good. you succeeded. All right, excellent. You succeeded on that front, absolutely. Now, I have. Can course, you give them nicknames for me too, baby? <laughs> okay. No, it took everything out of me to come up with my list and their names, and some of them aren't even that good. I look forward to listener submissions to come up with better suggestions there. But I did approach it in a completely different way, probably to the. I followed all the rules. The betterment is that a word of this segment? Okay. We have two different endeavors here completely. I went a little weightier route. Yes, they could make a movie together. And I thought about that, whether or not this would be a great group of collaborators and how much I would want to see their potential future collaboration. And we'll see if I succeeded there. Me personally, yes, I would love to see whatever these five come up with. But besides looking for qualities and traits that are needed to create great art, I also really did think about something heavier, Josh. I thought about it in terms of a group of Avengers who like the real Marvel Avengers could help us survive in the real world. People who are actually going to help us navigate whatever problems humanity is facing now. Camping, face camping skills. Did you take into account camping skills then? No. Survivalist skills. Well, survivalist, maybe. Okay. Depends how much you read into it. So they've got a lot more important things to do than just save the romantic comedy. Oh, I mean, well, I mean, excuse they're me. They're saving the world. Excuse they're me. I thought this world, was a Josh. movie show. Nope. Here we go. The first member of my team, actually the leader of my team. Okay. A triple threat, at least, a writer, composer, and actor, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay. His superhero name, Egot. His power is the ability to inspire and unite people in a common cause. The name, true. The term EGOT, of course, standing for those people who have managed to win an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony— How many people do you think have actually done that? I know the answer. I had to look it up today, and I'll just tell you by way of a hint. I thought it was far fewer than it actually is. What's your guess? Uh, Eight. I would have even thought four to six. It just seems astonishing to pull off all four of those. It's actually 12. Okay. not that many more, but 12. And Lynn would probably be the first person to point out he's not actually there yet. He has won an Emmy, the E. He has three Grammys, the G. Alas, he only has an Oscar nomination, Mm. the O he lost for Moana. He does have three Tonys, but I think he's eventually going to win an Oscar. And if that doesn't suffice, he does have two Olivier Awards. And I don't know, the Pulitzer might just have to work. We'll call him an Epgot instead (laughs) or something like that. Nickname better, actually. (laughs) So, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, probably from Hamilton, from In the Heights. He is an actor in the upcoming Mary Poppins Return, starring Emily Blunt. He did get that Oscar nomination for his original music for Moana, which was wonderful. One of the best parts of that film. And he's actually doing the same for Rob Marshall, not Sofia Coppola's live action, The Little Mermaid. Oh, it's back on. Yeah, it's back on. Okay, not not so excited. The project you made up in your head. Not so excited about it this time. Yeah, it is going to be a Rob Marshall joint, but he's collaborating with Lin-Manuel. I said he's our leader. Every group, any group, does need a leader of some kind, someone who doesn't rule out of fear or intimidation, but through mutual respect and unselfishness. A desire to put the group or the ensemble, and he's led some huge and hugely talented ensembles first as a creator and as a collaborator— someone who's always going to try to elevate the people they're working with instead of making it about them. And yes, 
Hamilton is Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's the title character. All the action and drama swirls around him. He is the person who wrote the music. But if you see his production, you do notice how he carries that weight so gracefully without making it about him as a performer. You come away talking about Leslie Odom Jr. as Burr and Dee Diggs as Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson and Philip Sue as Eliza Hamilton and so many others. And I really do think it's all by design. He's the kind of artist who surrounds himself with the best, then brings out their best to make them even better. I think any group needs that. He's going to lead mine. All right. Not a bad choice. I don't know if Mary Poppins Returns is going to save the world, though. I'm, Maybe a, I'm a little worried about that. Maybe it won't. But we're going to have future output okay. from right. Lin-Manuel. This and I've seen enough to know that he can lead my group. I have an actor for you next on my team. Her name? Chameleon. Every group needs a master of disguise. Tilda Swinton. Mm. Her superpower is her ability to manipulate her appearance and make any situation weird. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> That's an important power, I think. If you're thinking to yourself, hey, whatever we're doing here right now is okay, but I think we could take it up a notch, you need Tilda Swinton. Things could be a little weirder. Yes, that's it. But I do think a good group, whatever, whatever they're doing, a crack outfit needs someone who can infiltrate and sabotage and deceive for the greater good. I Googled today Tilda Swinton chameleon and, of course, found too many references to her to count. That word has been applied many, many times. But the top one, I think, was actually an article that was published last year. And if you go back to our preview of the year, I think in January or February, we touched on this film. The remake of Dario Argenta's Suspiria Mm -hmm. is coming out and she is in it. And according to this article, it was a photo from the set that was taken. I think it was like November 2017. And its headline was, you know, Tilda Swinton, unrecognizable in her new movie. And it's true. They actually suggest in the write-up that she must be playing an elderly man in Suspiria because that's what she looks like under all the makeup. And she really does. She looks like an elderly male. I don't think that is who she's playing because her character name on IMDb is Madame Blanc. Okay. But clearly that's the look she's going for there. And if you've seen a lot of her best work, we can go back to Orlando, to Doctor Strange, to Trainwreck, where she was probably in some ways at her weirdest by looking the most normal. We've never really seen traditionally normal. We've never seen that version. Yeah, she was her of boss Swinton. at the magazine. Yeah, she right? was her boss That's at right. the magazine. And, and she was great. She yeah. was really fantastic and brought something to that role that another actress probably wouldn't. Okja and Snowpiercer, the Bong Joon Ho movies, Only Lovers Left Alive, of course, your beloved Wes Anderson films like Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel, where she's almost unrecognizable. I almost didn't recognize her in Isle of Dogs. Very, very clever, Josh. She is just a voice in Isle of Dogs. But what another one of my picks does with light and shadow, we'll get to in a moment, she does with her body. She physically transforms, and through her presence alone, she transforms the reality of whatever space she inhabits. Plus, I do think at some point, a truly enigmatic challenge is going to arise for this group. You're going to need an abstract thinker, someone who can approach the problem from an unusual and unique perspective. And really, unique is the only word to describe Tilda Swinton. There are lots of talented actors who can play characters, capital C characters like Swinton does, but nobody else who can truly metamorphose. And Josh, that's the word. I looked it up today. I had to do a lot of Googling for this list. Metamorphose. That's a verb, huh? Yes. The way Swinton can. And if superheroes are just better versions of ourselves, idealized versions of ourselves, I think that she transcends and upends a lot of our traditional definitions, certainly of gender and of beauty. And the only case against her for this list is that Tilda Swinton's already so amazing. She's 
pretty much a superhero as it is. I don't know that she needs to be elevated for this list, but I'm putting her on my group along with Lin-Manuel Miranda. That brings us to a director making my list, and her name is The Seeker. You're very familiar with her work, Agnes Varda. Yes. Agnes Varda's superpower, heightened curiosity, empathy, and wisdom. Very true. My joke was going to be, riffing off of X-Men, that instead of being called Mystique, Varda could be called the feminine Mystique. And that's why I didn't go with that joke, Josh. But surely... <laughs> Sorry, I was, I was a little late on that laugh. You know, it happens. It's a thinker. It It'll take you a yeah. while. Surely the group will benefit from her decades of knowledge and experience empowering women and telling their stories. But if you think back to our marathon of her work, the words we kept emphasizing were those I mentioned. Curiosity, empathy, compassion also came up a lot. No matter how well-intentioned you are, it is hard to be selfless. It's hard not to get caught up every day in your own ego and focus on your daily wants and needs and desires. So hard that I'd call it a supernatural ability. And Varda has it as genuinely and as innately as anyone can have it. Some of her films, we talked about a few of them. She's a central character like The Gleaners and I, The Beaches of Agnes and her most recent Faces Places. But none of these films are ever actually about her. None of the journeys are about her. She's just a conduit for exploring what other people want and need and desire. She's an explorer. She's an illuminator. She makes us aware of our struggles that we're either not aware of or we just don't want to be aware of. If you think about some of the characters that she highlights in her stories, people on the fringes, and yet somehow she does it in a way that's playful and artful and without moralizing or judgment. It's never heavy-handed with Varda at all. And I don't know what's going to get us through this insane time we're living in right now, if not curiosity and compassion. I think Varda is as essential now as she's ever been. So how am I doing so far? That's a formidable group you okay. have. You had a director of photography. I have a director of photography. Our group's tech genius. Got to have one. His name, virtuoso, Roger Deakins. Yeah, I thought you were going there. Deakins' power is his ability to manipulate light, time, and space. Now, that may sound an awful lot like Doctor Strange. And maybe I am just ripping off Doctor Strange in some way. But whether it's all the work he's done with the Coen brothers, Josh, some of our favorite, not just movies, but cinematic images, the ones burned in our brains, all come from Deacons. Yep. Lebowski, Fargo, Serious Man, No Country for Old Men, The Man Who Wasn't There, True Grit, Barton Fink, Hail Caesar, The Hudsucker Proxy 2, his collaborations with Denis Villeneuve, Sam Mendes, he shot Revolutionary Road and Skyfall. He also shot The Shawshank Redemption and The Assassination of Jesse James. Truly, how many shots from all of those films do you remember instantly? And how many cinematographers can you say that about that you can instantly come up with 10 or 12 single images off the top of your head. Every group needs a mechanical genius, the guy who can work with any piece of equipment or fix any piece of equipment, a tinkerer, not unlike Tony Stark in his role with the Avengers in some ways. In this alternate reality, the master cinematographer who, with Blade Runner 2049, finally won a Best Cinematography Oscar. It was his 14th nomination. He has all those skills. And I think that ability to create alternate realities, to witness and to experience fantasy, but also just variations and versions of the world we currently inhabit will be important. He's someone who I think this is how I would sum it up best with Deacons and why he's on my list. He's there to expand our perspective. That's what he brings to the table. What Varda is doing, too, 
through her curiosity and compassion. He's doing it through technical means, expanding our perspective. That Oscar put him over the top, got him on the team. That's it. All right. He needed that qualification. Okay. The last member of my team. And this is where I could get a groan from you, Josh. Okay. Another groan. Or I could get some applause. I'm daring to put a critic on my list. Ooh, this could get dicey. It could. My critic is Matt Zoller Seitz. Uh-huh. He's one of my film spawning Avengers. His name, and boy, this is, this is the one, Matt, where I just ran out of time, I think. His name is Rational Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He is the thinker. Yes, the this is true. The conscience of the ah, group. Ah, that's good. His superpower is his ability to apply logic and reason to any scenario. Mm. We've got to keep our heads cool. Yes. Matt's the one who can do it. And Matt, who has been a guest on this show, could be very flattered by this inclusion or incredibly angry, and rightfully so, that I'm making him a superhero, but with the lamest name and the lamest power imaginable. He might as well be regular guy. He doesn't have heat vision. He can't fly. He can't make himself invisible. Nothing. Is but, he, he like kind of the Hawkeye is what you're saying? Yeah, okay. exactly. He, he can be written off with one line like he is in <laughs> Infinity War. But really, we love Matt. And if you're not familiar with his work, just a little bit of background. He is currently the editor-in-chief of RogerEbert.com and the TV critic for New York Magazine. He's done a lot of video essays and written essays about film history and style. He was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in Criticism at one point in his career. And he did write a book about your beloved auteur Wes Anderson called The Wes Anderson Collection and recently The Oliver Stone Experience. Massive wonderful book. We had him on to talk about that book and do our top five Oliver Stone scenes. That's right. We also did A Sacred Cow About Born on the Fourth of July, which I think is still his favorite Stone film. You're forgetting Matt's greatest achievement. He did write the foreword for Movies Are Prayers. Thank you. On sale now. Thank you. I know that's all you wanted out of this whole this <laughs> First whole thing I thought bit. of when I heard his of name. Of course. Beyond my respect for the way he handles his craft, how thoughtful and proficient and passionate he is as a writer and I'm going to say it. He really is probably the best there is right now. When it comes to considering TV and film as art, specifically the aesthetic choices that make TV and film art, I just think there's nobody better right now. And this is why he really is on my list, though, Josh. If I need to cheat and quickly know how I should feel about a topic, art, media, politics, baseball, it could be honestly anything. If I just needed a quick answer and didn't have time to research it or search my feelings— for how I felt, whatever Matt's saying on his Twitter feed, that's good enough. I could Fair just enough. parrot that. I could parrot that, and I know that it would be smart and thoughtful and, frankly, probably the right answer. And if you're not following him on Twitter, you should. He's at Matt Zoller Sites. He's level-headed, but he's compassionate. There's that word again. He looks at an angle from all sides, but also considers and acknowledges his own personal tastes and experiences. So he's always balancing that perfectly. And he is, unlike me, certainly on social media, he's fearless. He's always willing to engage or instigate a dialogue, but he isn't at all a shameless provocateur. That's not what's driving anything he's doing when he does start one of those dialogues or jumps into a conversation. And, you know, maybe he isn't the group's moral compass. And I say that only because that's a heavy burden to drop on someone. But he is, as I said, the group's conscience. He's human. He isn't perfect. But his hero's instinct, I think, is to always do the right thing. And I want someone like that on my team. 
so risky to put a critic on there. But yeah, Matt would be the one. I mean, the, his work with filmmakers, those books are collaborations, you know, the mm-hmm. ones with Anderson and with Stone. They're very much about the relationship he's able to form with them based on their work and really dig into the details of that work. So if any critic is going to be able to collaborate with the other filmmakers you mentioned, it would be Matt. Yeah, and if you want to revisit these names and learn more about our picks, you can do that at filmspotting.net. Just click on lists and go to the top five list for this page. Again, that's filmspotting.net. That's a super group you put together. I still think I would take my team against Thanos, though. I feel a little better about that. Maybe. Donald Glover would come up with something. Yes. He's, he's that inventive. I'll give you that. Those are our Film Spotting Avengers. We can't wait to hear what you think. You can email us, feedback at filmspotting.net. Did you dare to come up with any honorable mentions? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Did, well, didn't you hear the I pain know. that this caused me? It's true. It's true. And I'll just throw out three names okay. that I, I did consider in some form or another. Samuel L. Jackson. Not really eligible because he's already an Avenger in my mind. Yeah. But do you remember what his wallet says on it? Every group needs one of those. (laughs) I did think about Sean Baker, the director of the Florida Project. He would serve the same role role. as Varda. Yes. Or curiosity and empathy. Yeah. Or Matt, really. I mean, yeah. You know, but yeah, you compared those two already. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So thought about Sean Baker, didn't quite make the cut. And then I did think about Jessica Chastain as, Mm. as another ringleader, another. Another force who could potentially drive this group. The only other aspect I gave some thought to, but honestly couldn't come up with a really good way to make it fit because I loved my list. I just liked the way those five fit together as a team. We do need to maybe get younger. If we revisit the Film Spotting Avengers at some point down the road, Josh, and we could on a future list, Well, maybe you're 20. Yeah, I, yeah, I think we should do it then. But but the way you set out the problem, your problem True. is going to be solved more around a board table. I <laughs> feel like so storyboarding so de- dexterity might not be. You're as right. And high yet, of a quality. The average age of my film spotting Avengers sixty point two. Oh, okay. So they're not getting around quite as fast as as your spry ensemble. But I'm going to take them. To help us save the world. All right. Or make a great movie, whichever one comes first. Again, those are our Film Spotting Avengers. We would love to hear your picks. Email us, feedback at filmspotting.net. And we would love to see what all of the creative artists out there in Film Spotting Nation could do with our lists. I can see some posters. I can see, obviously, some comic book covers. I can see some Film Spotting t-shirts with our teams of Avengers on them and we're going to turn it in like the uh, infinity war poster yeah, all those sure. faces <laughs> whatever moves okay. you whatever moves you out there as a comic book fan as an artist and i suppose as a film spotting fan in collaboration with our merch partner t public we are going to let you submit designs we're going to have a winner and we're going to add that to our storefront so listeners could actually purchase one of these tees inspired by the film spotting avengers accepting all designs with the deadline of june 1st go to filmspotting.net for details and that's our show you can of course reach us 
anytime at our email address, feedback at filmspotting.net. But you can also call in, leave us a short voicemail, 312-264-0744, or send us an MP3 file. At filmspotting.net, you can find 13 years of reviews, interviews, and top fives in the show archives. And if you haven't already, please do check out the Film Spotting family of podcasts. That's the next picture show and Film Spotting SVU. Find them both in Apple Podcasts or through your preferred podcast app. Out in wide release this weekend, Avengers Infinity War. Exhausting. Josh Larson, film spotting. I can see it. I can see it on the on poster. The poster? Now. I don't think they're going to go with that. Out in limited release opening here in Chicago, you can see Philippe Grell's Lover for a Day or The Writer, a movie, Josh, you have seen. Sounds like you recommend. Yeah, for sure. Okay, and I can't wait to see it. I'm going to catch up with it this weekend. So it may get some attention on next week's episode. Whatever the main review is, we do plan to get to our summer movie preview. It will be our questions about the summer movie season. Film Spotting is produced by Golden Joe Dassault and Sam Van Hogren. Without Sam and Golden Joe, this show wouldn't go. Our production assistant is Andy Mitchell. Thanks also to Candace Griffiths and the listeners of the Film Spotting Advisory Board. And special thanks to everyone at WBEZ Chicago. For more information, visit WBEZ.org. If you enjoyed this show, please give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us reach new listeners. Our music this week is by Waxahachie. It comes from the album Out in the Storm. More information is at waxahachie.bandcamp.com. For Film Spotting, I'm Josh Larson. And I'm Adam Kempinar. Thanks for listening. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Film Spotting is listener-supported. Join the Film Spotting family at filmspottingfamily.com and get access to ad-free episodes, monthly bonus shows, our weekly newsletter, and for the first time, all in one place, the entire Film Spotting archive going back to 2005. That's at filmspottingfamily.com.